The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome. I'm your host, Suzanne Phillips, and thank you for joining me on Psych Up Live. Today we have a topic that you're going to find very interesting. If you've ever wondered whether the boss who is more like a bully, the person you date who never stops bragging, or the friend you have who knows everything is a narcissist, you're listening to the right show. These days in the media, we talk a lot about narcissists. We read articles like how to spot a narcissist online, or is it narcissism or is it self-esteem? Today, we're going to hear the answers from our guest and expert, Dr. Joe Burgo. Dr. Burgo is a clinical psychologist in private practice and the author of both self-help books and novels. His latest book, just released this week as paperback, is The Narcissist You Know, Defending Yourself Against Extreme Narcissists in an All-About-Me Age. As a recognized expert on narcissism, Dr. Burgo is frequently quoted in USA Today, Glamour, The Huffington Post, and other major news outlets. Dr. Joe Burgo, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you, and it's my pleasure to be here. Great. So, Let's start by clarifying for our listeners, who are the narcissists, and are they all the same, Joe? No, they're not all the same. Um, One of the concepts I introduce early on in the book is that narcissism is really a spectrum. Um, People are used to that idea, the autism Mm -hmm. spectrum. Lots of things occur along a spectrum. And at one end of of the narcissistic spectrum, we have healthy self-esteem. And at the other, we have narcissistic personality disorder. And there's all sorts of possible expressions of it all along that spectrum. And none of them look alike. Okay. So give us an example of someone who has some narcissistic traits, but isn't what we would call an extreme narcissist, as you call them. Sure. We all know those people. Um, they're, they're the people that post too many selfies that are a little bit too self-congratulatory, too self-promoting on Twitter and Facebook. You know, they just seem to be a little too self-absorbed to the, to the 
to the degree that it kind of excludes much, much interest in other people. They're not bad people. They're not destructive people. They're just, they just don't have a lot of room for anybody else. Mm. You sometimes hear the term, Joe, healthy narcissism. Now, where would that fit in? Well, the way that I distinguish healthy narcissism from, let's say, pathological narcissism is that a healthy narcissism is a good feeling about yourself that leaves room for other people to feel good about themselves at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, Pathological narcissism tends to crowd out other people. Um, Extreme narcissists the subject of my book, tend to build themselves up at the expense of other people by tearing down other people and making themselves look comparatively superior to them. Mm. Now, let's give some examples. You give some really pop right out of the book examples uh, in the book. So, for instance, and I have heard and you have heard in your clinical practice, people sometimes are working for a boss that knows everything, is incredibly demanding, is very um, punitive if you don't agree or you don't work the miracle, that kind of bully. Um, what, what's driving that person and what do I do if I'm working for that kind of person? Well, I think you should look for another job because <laughs> those, those people don't change. And um, they tend to react very badly if you challenge them in any way. If you, can, if you can tolerate massaging your boss's ego and sort of abasing yourself as the price for staying in your job, that's okay. But that, that's, that's the deal. Managing his ego is part of your unwritten job description. Mm. Um, but the bully, you know, you mentioned the bullying sort of boss, and there's lots of people like this you meet in the workplace, bullies in the workplace. That's, that's really where I start off um, the profile chapters in my book is by focusing on the whole concept of bullying, whether it's in middle school or whether mm-hmm. it's in the workplace. Now, what the bully does is make himself or herself big, powerful, superior at the expense of someone else, the victim. Uh, And they they exist in a kind of, uh, I don't know, symbiotic sort of relationship. The bullying narcissist needs the victim in order to prove himself to be the winner. Right. Um, Now, now I talk a lot about shame. Shame, unconscious shame driving the narcissist, which a lot of people have a hard time with because there's no visible evidence of shame. What's, what's helpful about looking at bullies and their victims is that the victim is forced to carry the shame in that dynamic. So the bully basically offloads or projects the sense of defect or unworthiness into the victim and then persecutes them, building himself or herself up at the same time as if to say, I'm not the loser, you are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the person who has been targeted as the loser can't help but start to feel like a loser. I mean, that becomes one of the damaging things. Now, these bullies, often you'll see them gather forces, like I think you mentioned the example in a workplace where if the bully's competitive with someone, they'll start talking, they'll do a gossip campaign. Why do people rally to the bullies? I think there are various reasons. Sometimes even bullying narcissists 
if you're not the target, can be very charismatic. You know, they can be very appealing and other workers want to affiliate with that kind of charisma and power. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if if someone's like a, a really vicious sort of bully, people are afraid of that person. So mm-hmm. they'll, they'll kind of submit to the person's agenda in order to prevent themselves from becoming a target. I often say when we're talking about bullies, I often say that the friend of the bully is the most frightening person in the yard, in the schoolyard, because they know it could be turned on them. Uh, it's there's a lot of anxiety dealing with the narcissist who's this extreme and acts like a bully. I mean, that's, I guess, part of what we deal with when we're dealing with them. Well, it, it is. It's, it's, it's very destructive. I've worked with a lot of people who have been bullied during their lifetime. And especially when it happens early on in adolescence, it's absolutely, absolutely toxic to one's self-esteem. People, people commit suicide as a result of having been bullied. People fall into depression. People um, abuse substances as a result of it because it's so absolutely agonizing to be, to be treated this way, to be treated like you're a worthless social outcast. You know, that's who would ever want to feel that way. We can all understand just how awful it is to undergo that kind of experience. Mm. It's very hard for the victim of the narcissistic bully to shake it off. And in this day and age of social media, it can become a nightmare of a storm. Just so I was going to ask you about the charming narcissist, but before we do that, Joe, let's just go down like so that our listeners know you, you provide a checklist. So on a checklist, if I wanted to think about, wait a minute, is the man I'm dating an extreme narcissist? Is the friend I think was my friend one of these people? What, what are some of the characteristics that would describe the many different examples you give? I think you've mentioned some of them um, in your introduction. The, the sort of person who always talks about him or herself, self-absorption, lack of interest in other people, a tendency to um, exaggerate their own accomplishments, to tear down other people. There's, there's also less obvious signs, though, things like um, there's often a... a um, Substance abuse problems, impulse control, they tend to be kind of grandiose, and when they are in their grandiose state, they'll overspend, they'll drink too much, they'll Mm -hmm. take too many drugs. Right, right. They have to have the five Rolex watches. Um, Right. The other thing interesting is, and would you say this is true, at an extreme, these people... They'll bend the truth or even lie and never think twice about it if their pursuit is to be fabulous. It is at any cost, even in terms of whether they're lying or not, and they rarely, if ever, apologize. Absolutely. I mean, the truth is largely irrelevant, and if you want, you know, a a great example of the narcissist with no disregard for the truth, you just have to look no further than the current presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting not only is that example interesting, but you talk about Lance Armstrong, and you even have another book out, uh, ebook out on hero as narcissist, how Lance Armstrong and Greg Mortensen conned a willing public. It's a very interesting little little book you have. So sometimes the person they really they really don't seem to be at all. Um, there's no remorse 
it's as if they don't, do you think they consciously realize they're lying or deceiving people? I think, I think sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Um, okay. In the case of Lance Armstrong, I think he knew that he was lying and he didn't care that he was lying and he didn't care who he hurt along the way. This, you know, the, the, the feature that all extreme narcissists, excuse me, narcissists demonstrate is an inability to empathize with other people. Right. Um, they don't, they don't care that what other people feel. They don't care if they run over people along the way. All they care about is proving that they're a winner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the... In, in terms of my work, one of the most consistent patterns of narcissists I've seen is often the partner, the dating partner, let's say, of fabulous women, fabulous women who end up meeting the man of their dreams, the most charming person they've ever met. And it goes downhill from there. And they continue to be completely bewildered as to how the relationship has gotten to the point where the person may be clearly cheating on them, but absolutely saying it's in their head, gaslighting them, telling them it's their insecurity, it's not true. Yes, there were text messages on the phone, but how dare you look at my phone? Now, this type of person would fit into your example of extreme narcissists? Um, he would. In fact, I have I have examples of people who are exactly like that in the book. This it, it sounds to me like what you're describing is a is a charismatic narcissist. Yes. Um, and this is the seductive narcissist. It's you know it's so beguiling to meet somebody who makes you feel like you are the greatest thing since sliced bread. That you know lavishes you with gifts and compliments and spends money on you and, you know, basically treats you like a princess. And we're going to talk about, we're going to use this example as that it's men who do this because that is largely who it is who, who, who operates this way. They, they seduce you and the way they do it is by kind of building you up, you know, kind of making you feel like you're a winner, like you're the greatest thing ever. And, you know, who, who wouldn't fall for that? Right. I mean, you, you have to be very, very humble and uh, introspective to say, well, wait a minute. You know, maybe, maybe I'm not all that great. Maybe I'm just about the same as everybody else. And the way he's idealizing me doesn't reflect an accurate understanding of who I am as a person. Now, I don't think many people can do that. Many people want the drug. And let's face it, romance, romance romantic love is a major drug. Right, right. Nothing better. And then once they've got you hooked, um, then, it, then it all starts to fall apart because they can't sustain the illusion of who they are. You know, the inevitable cracks begin to show, the, a lot, the lies start to be revealed. Um, and then when you challenge them, they'll either deny it, they'll insist that nothing is wrong, you're just imagining it, or they'll savage you for challenging them. They'll try to make you feel like a loser or a crazy person or right. a, or, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understand that it's hard for people to get out of those relationships because they keep thinking, well, we can get back to that wonderful phase yes. 
in the beginning, but it, it never works that way. Exactly. It's such a, to me, as I see the destruction of the person who's fa- fallen in love with Prince Charming, is that they truly stop believing in themselves. They start to question even their own perspective. One woman walked in on the person with someone else, and he later told her that that's impossible. How could you even believe that? So after a while, her reality had even become distorted. Um, it, it sort of fits in with the title of your book, which is defending yourself against extreme narcissists. And they do, from what we're saying, come in many different packages. And sometimes they are extremely charming. Well, I, the, the, the example you're giving of, of the, the woman who has a hard time maintaining her sense of self in the face of these kinds of, this kind of gaslighting, mm-hmm. I think that the dynamic there is complicated. I think sometimes people are drawn to charismatic narcissists because they have their own shame and self-esteem issues. Okay, and they might yes. want to affiliate with somebody who seems like, wow, they've got it all. So if I'm with him, then that makes me a winner too. Yes. And then, then when he turns on them, they don't have the self-confidence, the, sense, the basic sense of self-worth to say, no, you're wrong. Uh, I'm not crazy. You are, and I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. That is the, that we're, and, and we're going to take a brief break. When we come back, maybe we can look at who's vulnerable to the extreme narcissist. How do people become extreme narcissists? And how do we cope? You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're going to take a brief break. We've been speaking with Dr. Joe Burgo. He's the author of the book, Now in Paperback, The Narcissist You Know, Defending Yourself Against Extreme Narcissists in an All About Me Age. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. 
Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Joe Virgo. He's the expert on narcissism. His new book now in paperback, The Narcissist You Know. So, Dr. Burgo, let's talk about how does someone end up being an extreme narcissist? I mean, what has to happen or not happen? I talk a lot about narcissism as being a defense against a particular type of shame. Uh, I think most people are, are familiar with social shame that that Brene Brown writes a lot about, the kind of social, cultural messaging that tells us that we're never enough. I write a lot um, about a different type of shame. It's it's a shame that takes place, uh, it takes root in the first months and years of life, and it, it has to do with an experience where your early encounters with life are so far from what is normally expectable that it leaves you with this sense of defect or unworthiness. Um, So extreme narcissists aren't just genetically, they're not genetic, you know, abnormalities. They're basically people who are born into really traumatic environments. And that can, that can mean a lot of different things. It could mean, um, you were given up for adoption after you had bonded with your birth mother. It could mean you were born into a household that was marred by physical or emotional violence. It could mean that uh, there's a lot of drug and other substance abuse. It could be your, your mother fell into a profound postpartum depression that went in for a long time, so she couldn't bond with you. But basically what all of these experiences do is they leave you with the feeling that things really did not go right. They did not go the way they should have gone, that there's something um, very wrong with your development. It's, it's usually experienced as a feeling of inner ugliness or defect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often unconscious. It's usually unconscious, though it shows up a lot in dreams. I do a lot of dream work with it. And then what happens is, is that This is so excruciating, it's so painful to feel ugly and defective that the narcissist constructs a sort of, you know, alternate identity to disprove, so to speak, all that damage. You know, I'm not this defective, ugly loser. I'm actually this fabulous winner, and I'm way better than you are in every way. So it's a defensive identity. I think most people are familiar with the idea of of defense mechanisms. 
these defenses are so pervasive that they entirely color the person's personality, which is what we mean when we talk about personality disorders, that the characteristic ways of defensive are so defining that they really affect the person's entire personality. So why would it be, I mean, it it makes so much sense in terms of a hidden defective self that has to be covered up with a... um, a winner at all costs. But are these people who often actually have some some real gifts? They're intelligent or they happen to be good looking or they're talented at something. What makes them different than the brother or sister from the same family who's extremely shy and feels self-conscious and doesn't feel that they're very they're worthwhile? I wish I had the answer to the question about why some people, you know, become narcissists and mm-hmm. others equally riddled with shame retreat from the world. Um, I'm writing about that topic in the next book I'm writing, so hopefully mm-hmm. I'll have more to say on that score. But it's true what you say that extreme narcissists often are so driven to prove themselves winners that they achieve great things, and mm-hmm. you know, if they're lucky, they have. Um, you know, some kind of talent or ability to back it up. They, they Surprisingly, they're not just grandiose blowhards. Sometimes they're really hardworking, driven people, and they can achieve great things. They tend to be drawn to arenas where they're able to demonstrate their superior winner status on the big stage. So they go into entertainment. They go into high-profile athletics. They go into politics. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe give us an example. I know one example I enjoyed reading about was, um, because let's talk about the parents' role in here, because I know parents are going to be wondering, whoa, what part do I play in this? Um, What about Tiger Woods? Maybe give us a glimpse of how that exemplifies talent, but a, a a default self that's well hidden. His father who had a lot of shame issues himself and was uh, a narcissist in his own right, um, kind of a world-class liar, as uh, one of the biographers has described him. Um, he really groomed Tiger to be um, uh, a sports icon. Um, he, from the time he, like the moment he got out of his car seat and could walk, uh, Earl, his father, had put golf clubs into his hand and was training him. And he trained him and drove him and drove him to become this uh, world-class athlete who sadly was also a narcissist like his father. You know, we say in the profession that narcissism begets narcissism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's surely the case here. I, I talk about parenting um, as very simply, there, there are two challenges that, that parents face in bringing up their children um, and making them feel good about themselves, but also helping them to have empathy and respect for other people. And they're, they're, they're not exactly sequential, but one happens earlier than the other. So early on, the job of a parent with a baby that's, you know, let's say, you know, under two is really to make that child feel like the center of the universe, that they're beautiful, that they're amazing, that they bring joy to their parents. Um, And expressing the joy is hugely important in normal development. And then, 
about the time we hit the terrible twos and children are walking and exploring their world in a larger way, it's time to start saying no, to become not critical, but to move from purely um, unconditional love to conditional acceptance. That Mm -hmm. is, I still love you no matter what, but you have to meet certain requirements Um, often involving respect for other people and and respect for other people's feelings to get my approval. And and if you don't, I will will not approve. I will disapprove um, in ways that might be painful, but hopefully will teach you the values that are necessary for a person to get by in society and to engage with other people in an empathic, respectful way. So I think... A lot of parents today are pretty great on the first one and not so great on the second mm-hmm. one. Right. There's been a lot, a lot of talk in the media about the self-esteem movement and how it's failed. Mm. Well, I, I love the line you use at one point in the book that is saying to a child, I love everything about you, but I don't love everything about what you do. Um, so, you know, the, the difference between um, the kind of empathic attunement as opposed to endless gratification or telling a child you're the best no matter what that makes the child have a very hard time losing at any game. One thing, and it's interesting, the ex- one example that you gave is that those people who were meant or made to live through the parent who really wanted to be the performer and who really send the message, you'll do this for me, You'll, you'll, I think one of the young women had to be in beauty contests. Eventually she goes to medical school. It never stops being for the mother. And I love the way you talked about underneath that seemingly high-performing person was a person who really didn't feel good about herself at all. No, because she felt that she couldn't be loved for who she actually was and that you know, it was acceptance and love, what passed for love, was conditioned upon meeting these expectations and fulfilling her mother's, um, her mother's own personal ideals. I have a client that I've been working with for a while now. He, he, he became a professional. I won't say what profession, but it was the profession his father had always wanted to pursue. And mm-hmm. my client never did. He never wanted to be that, that professional. And um, as a result, he, he felt he's, he's completely saddled with shame because he felt like his actual self wasn't lovable. Only this achieving self would, would earn parental love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other thing that I've seen, and uh, I want to know if you have also, is sometimes uh, favoritism in a family where there's one golden child and they are it and they learn they're above the law. And they learn that they will never have to worry about uh, gratification or support from the parents. And the others learn they have to cope with this narcissist at tremendous loss at sometimes. I have seen a lot of that. It's really awful. It's just, it's, it's just excruciating to hear the stories of people who have gone through this experience. I talk about narcissism throughout the book in terms of winners and losers and how the narcissist makes him or herself into a winner at the expense of the losers he or she despises. 
Well, in these kinds of families, it's as if one child becomes the winner and the parent lives vicariously through that child, and the other one has to carry all the shame and becomes the loser. So there's a splitting process. Yeah, it's extremely hard, as you say, to see and for that person to shake off the imposed shame and come into their own. Um, It's, you know... That's, I guess that's an important piece of your book and your message, which is, A, why do we keep gratifying to these folks if we start to realize they're not really great for us? And B, when you are dealing with someone, be it a parent or a sibling who is the golden child or someone you're dating who you think is wonderful but you're losing yourself, how do we cope with these people? Well... I, I say throughout the book that the primary way to understand and cope with a narcissist is by dealing with your own shame and self-esteem issues, because okay. it's by attacking our sense of worth, our self-esteem, that narcissists have such a powerful influence on us. And if we, if we struggle with shame ourselves, then we might feel on some level that we deserve to be treated the way we're being treated. We might doubt ourselves. So in extreme cases like that, where, where it's someone who's really struggling with shame and low self-esteem, I do think it's time to get professional help. I think it's very hard to grapple with that on your own. You need some support for the idea that you have worth apart from these toxic people. For the rest For the rest of us, for for most people, um, it's still going to have a big impact. And the the way we have to deal with it is by having very firm limits and by setting limits for these people, by um, excluding them from our lives as much as we can. And sometimes it means breaking off contact entirely, even when it's your mother. Right, which is very, very hard for people. Yeah, and um, I think that's the question I get asked more often than any other question on my website is, this is my mother, she's a narcissist, how do I, how do I cope with her? And what people usually want is they want to know, how do I cope with her and stay in relation with her? You know, it's hard, to, hard to, it's your mother and there's a lot of social messaging that says you should always respect your parents and you owe something to your mother. But sometimes when it's a particularly toxic person, it's, it, all you can do is like break free, cut it off. Right. And so that's where self-care and your own self-esteem would give you the permission to say, I've tried time after time to deal with this person and it goes nowhere. Because very rarely, Joe, I'm sure you find, and I know, also I find, the narcissist is not going for therapy. They are not joining a group, and they are not reading your book. <laughs> it's, no, it's, no, they're not. You are. You're going <laughs> right. to therapy because you're the one with the problem, not him. Mm. But if we think of that as finding a way to love yourself by seeing yourself from another vantage point, be it a therapy group, um, some sort of a therapy, it does become a gift that allows you to see a different perspective. So if, you, if someone said to you, I don't want to totally cut it off, as you say, people write into you, I don't want to totally cut it off with my parents, how shall I deal with them? What, what type of advice do you give them? I might 
ask that person to look carefully at what he or she gets out of that relationship. What's in it for you? I mean, mm-hmm. and that's, that's often a, a helpful question because it forces them to realize that they don't get anything out of it or what they do get out of it is very limited. And then I might suggest, okay, well, if that's what's good for you, the good part, you need to set limits on the rest. You might need to circumscribe your contact with this person so that all you, so mostly what you're experiencing are the places where you can get something out of it. Mm -hmm. I have had people literally say, I could never visit them for more than two days, or they kind of know the point at which it's going to go very, very bad. But that's that's a wonderful sort of affirming a sense of agency that you're going to set the time and the agenda and, and, and possibly walk out if it really becomes uh, very damaging to yourself. Um, I, one of the things that you speak about, and we can start speaking out a, a little bit and then we're going to take a break, is people have the urge, all of us have the urge to talk back to these people when we, you know, we want to tell them off, we feel we've been used by them, we feel they've unfairly judged us, we feel it's always all about them. The urge, Joe, is to retaliate or to be very, very assertive back. And I think it, in your coping section, you say that's not going to wa- work all the time with these people. Oh, it usually doesn't work with these type of people, but the impulse to stand up for yourself and fight back is completely understandable. I mean, the way narcissists treat people in their destructive mode, it offends all of our ideas of fairness and justice. And right. so, you know, with even with a strong sense of self, we want to we want to rectify that. We want to say, "No, you can't treat me this way. You are lying about this." And, and really just stand up for ourselves that and in most circumstances, that's a wonderful impulse. Unfortunately, Extreme narcissists will fight to the death, and right. they, don't, they don't ever give up. Yep. So uh, what you're asking for is a vicious retaliation that will escalate in power. I've said to some people, they're not giving up because they're fighting for their life on some way, in some way that they're not even, they're con- they're not even conscious of. But let's come back and talk about that. We're going to take a brief break. We've been talking with Dr. Joe Burgo. He's the narcissist specialist, the author of the book, now in paperback, The Narcissist You Know, Defending Yourself Against Extreme Narcissists in an All About Me Age. Stay with us. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Hoarding has become a tremendous issue worldwide, not just for those who hoard, but for the people who love and care about them. On Take Back Your Life, when your things are taking over, host Elaine Birchall helps you to understand and get unstuck from the clutter in your life, no matter how severe. Our program brings you practical strategies to help you get started and maintain your goals. Listen live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. A wave of change is happening in our world now. A new feminine way of leadership is emerging. Yet this is not about women taking over. This rise of the feminine is helping men too. Join host Gina Lazenby, award-winning businesswoman, best-selling author, and speaker on feminine wisdom as she reports on the rise of the feminine with inspiring stories of women who are coming into their own and finding their unique purpose. Tune in and join this conversation in the rise of the feminine each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. I'm Suzanne Phillips, and we've been having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Joe Burgo, author of the book Now in Paperback, The Narcissist You Know. Um, Joe, I know our listeners are going to want to find you online, read your blogs. Um, I'm hoping you'll speak a little bit about your new book, um, audio book, Grimm, because it really highlights and even expands what we've been speaking about in terms of shame and narcissism. So why not fill us in a little bit on how we get to you and your other books? Glad to. Um, my, my main website is afterpsychotherapy.com. I've been writing that blog for about five years now, and I write about personal development issues from a psychodynamic perspective. I talk a lot about my practice my clients' issues we've confronted, and also I talk somewhat personally about things that I've gone through and how I think readers might relate to them. Okay. I also write a blog on psychology today that's called Shame. It's all about shame. Um, I have a, another website that's josephburgo.com. That's just for like public relations stuff. So um, the current book, The Narcissist You Know, um, is available everywhere in bookstores and on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, I believe there's an audiobook also available on iTunes and elsewhere. The, my other two books, the first book I wrote is called Why Do I Do That? And it's all about psychological defense mechanisms, how to understand them, how to recognize your own defenses at work and what's behind them. Um, that's, that I, I had originally sold to a specialty publisher and withdrew from the contract and brought it out myself, um, which I was very glad I did. I'm very happy with that book, and I recently released an audiobook version of it. So it's mostly available on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com um, in print-on-demand, ebook, and now audiobook. What I'm most excited about is my collection of three novella-length fairy tales. It's called Grimm, 
dark fairy tales for the psychologically minded. And I warn readers that they're very dark. They're not for the faint of heart. For instance, um, Cinderella, the first tale, uh, Cinderella has a self-injury problem. Um, and these are, these are stories with characters who are grappling with the kind of shame that I write about in my nonfiction work on my website. Shame is really the underlying theme of all of the personality disorders. And um, these tales describe, present different people grappling with shame and their defenses against it. There's many sort of narcissistic characters. Um, there's people who are, who are mired in shame and trying to escape from it. Um, but basically, it's, it's, it's a fictional counterpart to my psychological nonfiction work. Mm, it sounds terrific. And I know Joe is just telling me that as in the audio book, he's actually, in, you know, auditioned 72 people to have some a fabulous um, reader or actually an actor. So that should definitely be an audio book worth getting. And it brings us back to, because it really elaborates, the theme of shame and narcissism as the cover of shame. And that actually brings us back to our listeners who who are listening to try to figure out how on earth do we deal with people? If it's if it's my boss, I mean, do I leave the job? Uh, if it's my brother, do I never see him on the holidays? What are some take-home messages? What are some other ways that you suggest that people cope or think about coping? Well, the the um, the main takeaway, as I think you've just summarized is to remember that whether or not you can see it, and usually you can't see it, shame is always the issue. And the person is not only grappling with shame, defending against shame, but they feel as if, as you were saying, their entire life depends upon escaping from that shame. So the stakes are very, very high for this person. Their entire sense of worth is on the line, and they will do anything to protect themselves. And the second important takeaway message is to always be checking your own shame, your own defensiveness, and try not to engage mano a mano, as I talk about it. Try not to go head on with a narcissist like this, because you will always lose. Sometimes what that means in the workplace, and I really do think that if it's, if it's at all possible, it's time to polish your resume. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, very, they're very deceptive because they can sabotage you in the workplace. And often they're very good at looking like, a, you know, a great guy to everyone else but you, and you have been singled out. So you've got the whole team against you. So b- before you, like, end up drinking too much and sinking into depression – get out. And then the other is, is, as we've been talking about with parents, but it goes for everybody, is, is learn how to set limits. Learn how to protect yourself from the most destructive behavior by not allowing that person the opportunity to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Minimizing contact, you know, walking away, but Absolutely. don't challenge them head on. You know, in in line with that, I've said to people who say, I wrote it all out. I'm going to explain what he or she did. And I'll say the more words, the more distortion, the more pain you're going to feel. They're not reading it to be informed. 
they're not able to put themselves in your shoes as an empathy problem. So our urge, Joe, as you say, to retaliate or to really just be logical, well, they're not logical. And they're, if we think of them, I think at some point you describe, considering how desperate they are, if you know, you almost want to realize you're stronger. You're better off taking care of yourself and trying to change them. Well, absolutely. You're not going to change them. That is not going to happen. Narcissists almost never change. Um, They almost never apologize. They almost never admit they're wrong. I do think that sometimes, um, it's sometimes the way I think about the conventional wisdom about alcoholics that they have to hit bottom. Sometimes when an extreme narcissist destroys his or her life, when they've hit bottom, they've destroyed their career, they've destroyed their marriage, they've alienated everybody they know and all their friends and family, sometimes then they may feel ready to face the truth about themselves, but that doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. I think that that's so true. That's the only time they will ever enter in my office is they've lost the business and the marriage. And then they're really just, they're really just coming to have me figure out how to get it back on their terms. So (laughs) they're sometimes not asking for help. One thing, Joe, you mentioned, and I think all our listeners know, is look at how many people in high places who were presenting themselves always as the best, the best, the best, sort of um, end up burning out or end up in a crazy scandal. You just can't continue to often to perpetuate the feeling you're above the law and you can lie and you can do anything you want without any repercussion. You can go a pretty long time, but very often this is a very self-destructive pattern and often it ends in a self-destruction in some way. I think we, we've have, we have a really dramatic recent example, especially for New Yorkers. Poor Anthony Weiner. I know most people probably don't feel sorry for him. They just think he's a, you know, a jerk, but what self-destructive behavior and, you know, what sort of a person is sending photographs of himself, selfies of his crotch, trying to get admiration or excite desire in somebody um, after having been caught more than once doing it and jeopardizing his, his marriage, his relationship with his wife, to be ex-wife, his child, his entire career. I mean, this is a man who was so driven, I think driven, my guess is, by some kind of profound shame Mm. um, to engage in this very risky self-destructive behavior. And then I think it was like a downward spiral. I think he got caught, which filled him with more shame, which he felt driven to escape from. Mm. So he went back to his familiar sexting drug, um, to kind of make himself feel better, which just made things worse. I think that's probably a fairly typical downward spiral for an extreme narcissist. Well, one of the things that that really does sort of highlight is not only is there an inability for them to be empathic and understand someone else, there's really an incapacity for self-reflection. As you say, in desperation, he keeps doing the same thing to ease the pain, which of course is the very thing that's creating the problem. So self-reflection and you know, you would, every, all of us at some point have tried to invite these people to look at themselves. That I don't think they're capable of that, which is why they also don't seek help. 
they're in flight from themselves. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the basic dynamic of the extreme narcissist is their entire personality, their entire drive in life is not to know about this feeling of shame and damage that's driving them. They're, you know, they're, they're desperate not to know who they are. So how does introspection play into that? It doesn't. So one of the things, our broader message here is one way to cope is to remember this person may present as the top of the world, but this person carries a tremendous burden of shame and really self-loathing that you're never going to see. But just knowing that, Joe, sometimes helps you deal with one of these people. I think so. You know, I don't, I don't think we're ever going to feel deeply compassionate and warmly towards these people because they're so alienating. They're so, you know, they're <laughs> right. so hostile and make us feel bad about ourselves. But if we can just remember, like, you know, like that quote from Shakespeare, the, the, the lady doth protest too much, methinks. You know, someone who feels that driven to constantly announce his winner status probably feels like a loser underneath. It's not, it's not a big imaginative leap. Right, right. Actually, it really fits. So, um, if you had to tell our listeners a one-line take-home message about extreme narcissists, what would it be, Joe? An extreme narcissist is in flight from shame, and everything you see is an illusion. Okay. Joe, Dr. Burgo, it's a pleasure to have had the um, opportunity to have you on the show. It's a gift to all of our listeners. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, on the podcast apps of your iPhone, iTunes, Sketcher. Go for them. This one's a great one to hear again. Please drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be hearing the story of a lady who in midlife decides to become a pilot and who decides to even move beyond being a pilot to get involved with helping our astronauts. Be sure to listen in. Until next week, please take care, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.